Well, good morning. I want to welcome you. My name is Steve Osborne. I'm part of the pastoral staff, and I have a favor to ask you one more time. If you could just sort of squeeze to the middle, that'd be great. We've got a few folks that are still wanting to join us and grab a seat, and we're so grateful all of you are here and worshiping with us on this last Sunday. A little crazy, isn't it? Last Sunday of 2012. Mike Geary is not with us today. We, we uh, perhaps wanted to give him a break, but no, he didn't take a break. So he is actually traveling to a couple of Campus Crusade conferences, crew winter conferences. So he spent uh, a day in San Diego, and now he's in the garden spot with Justina, his wife, of Indianapolis. Yeah, exactly. And so I text him this morning. He texts me this morning. He's praying for us, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you're on his mind and heart. He, we are on his mind and heart. But I asked him, text him back and asked him if he's preaching in Indianapolis and flip-flops. I've yet to wait to find out if that's actually going to be true. I'm hoping that he is as he rep- represents us. Well, as we, uh, as we come together, we've been journeying this fall in something we're calling the way, the way of Jesus we're embracing this way in which Jesus has come to set the world, the world to rights, to engage in not just a rescue operation in which he relentlessly pursues people, but one in which he begins to turn the world back right side up, that that rescue operation continues in the hearts and the minds of his people in such a way that his kingdom begins to reign. To reign not just in individual hearts, but begins to see that kingdom reign all over the place. And as we are embarking in that journey today, as we are moving into some of those things today, we find ourselves at a place now where we're talking a little bit about how is it that we can enjoy rich connection with Jesus. Okay, I'm seeing a few people out here, so I just need a yell from the kids, okay? We got a few kids, so on the count of three kids, I want you to just, okay, kids, if, if you're under junior high, okay, if you're in grade school, I want you to just go, ah, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, ah! Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Got to figure some way to welcome you guys and thank you guys for being in here. You now have permission to draw for the next 30 minutes, okay? (laughs) Whatever it is you want to draw, something, whatever, you can write some stuff down, color, et cetera, et cetera. We welcome you. We're so grateful that you guys are here and joining, joining us today. I don't know about you and how you guys do Christmas. We sort of had multiple Christmases, and I'll refer to those in just a few minutes later on. But in our multiple Christmases, I enjoyed an awful lot of great and rich time with people that I really care about. There were times around tables. There were times just sitting and chilling out in the backyard. There were times where we went to movies. There were times where we enjoyed dinner out or dinner around our table. It was just some great and rich times. We had the family together. We had multiple versions of the family together. Maybe you guys did that as well. We had our multiple Christmases in there. And all of those things were deep and rich and meaningful, and I I just loved them all. Can I just say that? That there's something wonderful and rich, and for me at least, as I get gray hair, a little sentimental about Christmas. I just sort of love it. I love all the family connection. This morning I want to talk about making that kind of connection with Jesus. 
You know, the kind that you feel or maybe you long for around a home or around close friends. Or you sit around and you linger and you long and you don't want it to end. The kind in which you laugh and you smile and you enjoy each other's company and you are so grateful to just be in those moments together. The kind that you wish you could press pause and just sit there and enjoy that scene together. See, Jesus invites us into that kind of communion. In his way, he invites us into that kind of fellowship. In his instructions to us, in his coaching of us, in his statements to us, he welcomes us into that kind of union with him in which we would spend time with him, around tables with him, long for those moments where we would just be able to press pause and enjoy his company. This morning we're going to be looking at that way continuing that journey in the way, looking at how it is that Jesus develops this rich and meaningful relationship in which we would walk with him and enjoy his company in such an, in such an incredible way that we would want to just sort of be there and be with him forever. To be friends, to be family. Now, and don't let this last one out, to actually have fun walking with Jesus. Now, don't tell anybody or we won't have any seats for anybody, okay? So don't tell anybody about that that last one. But this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about, Jesus' way, the way of Jesus and how it is that he invites us into this incredibly rich and beautiful and meaningful relationship and connection with him. To do that, we're going to jump into John chapters 14 and 15. I want to invite you to turn there with me. John chapter 14, we're going to start our conversation there. John chapter 14, as you turn there, is part of a section of Scripture, John 14, 15, and 16, called the Upper Room Discourse. It's called that because it's in an upper room. What a concept. And Jesus is actually days away from the cross. This is, in effect, his parting shot to his closest people, his disciples, his inner 12. They are now 11. Because the one of those 12 who will betray him, Judas, is now left. He's gone to do his duty, if you will, in betraying Jesus. And so Jesus is with these 11, and he's building into their lives really one final parting shot as they begin to embrace the weight and the magnitude and the loss that they are about to experience and grapple with Jesus. What is happening The world's axis is about to turn. How in the world can we be close to you if you leave? And so John 14, 15, and 16 are about that very thing. How is it that we can be in close relationship, close fellowship, close connection with Jesus when he's gone? And in John 14, we're going to look at the layers of that. There are multiple layers, but we're going to start with a fairly bold and short and pithy statement that Jesus gives to us in John chapter 14, verse 15. Look at that with me, if you will. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Okay, you can sort of get romantic and sentimental and gooey at any point here, dude. Okay? What is that? If you love me, you will keep my command. Jesus begins this conversation about remaining connected in a deep and close relationship with him with this statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, I, I, I don't need to confess some things to you. This is not going to be dark and dirty. But I, I will offer this to you as I've thought about this. Over the years, and particularly as a newer follower of Jesus, in my teens and 20s, I, I would read verses like this, and particularly this verse, and it sort of threw me for a loop. Here, here was the loop. Jesus, I, I thought that you loved me and you extended grace to me and so I can't figure out this whole commandments thing. Because I, I know I can't really earn my way in and I'm not supposed to perform because I can't perform so how is it then that I love you by keeping the command? And it got all jumbled for me. Now, all of you are way past that. I realize that and I appreciate that, but that just was true for me. And I realized in some of those moments how deeply and profoundly influenced I had been by Santa Claus. Can I just tell you that? Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pat. I'm telling you why. why? Santa Claus is coming to town. You guys can do this with me, right? He's making a list and checking it twice, going to find out what? Who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. That's weird. Can we just say that right now? <laughs> it's like, really? Weird. Come on. Yeah. In fact, can I just offer to you, who wrote that song? Anyway, that's a different story. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows you when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or what? Good. So be good for goodness sake so that you get presents and not coal. And so I realized I have been deeply influenced actually by Santa Claus and the fact that he's coming to town. He's not messing around. He's going to divvy out to the naughty and to the nice. There's something in me that feels at times like I'm tilting on a slope. That I have this pull, and the pull goes something like this. I need to earn my way in. I need to be good enough. I need to be worthy. I need to perform. I need to prove that his love toward me was, I need to earn his affection. But that's not the way the disciples would have heard this. They would have heard it very differently. There's another tilt at times that happens in me. It's not really a song. It's sort of this part of the year, though. It's New Year's resolutions. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you, you know what the New Year's resolutions are, are like. They go something like this, right? I look at my ear. 
2012, and I look at all the little places or the big places where I failed. My body right now is processing almost an entire Costco pecan pie. Can I just tell you that right now? (laughs) Almost the whole thing. And so somewhere that's got to get shed sometime soon, right? There's all kinds of stuff that I did or over. Oh, got to work out a little bit more. Got to get back in the gym on the elliptical. We got to get back there. Got to shed all that pounds. Fair enough. There's something about the end of the year Christmas bills that, ah, what happened? How do we make so much money and have so little at the end of the year? Ah, I got to buck up and do better on that. I'm going to be more diligent. I'm going to be planned out. We're going to budget. We're going to, and I'm going to be hard about this. And we're going to have money at the end of the year. And I've all I've got all my New Year's resolutions because, doggone it, I will will this to be true. I will try my hardest. I will discipline myself. So the next year, everything... See, I have a tilt this way that says something like, I I need to earn Jesus' affection. And I have a tilt this way that says that I'm going to change myself, that I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be better, and I'm going to be more disciplined, and I'm going to be more loving to my wife and kids and you. It's not the way the disciples would have heard these commandments, though. See, the commandments were for people who were already the objects of God's affection. The commandments were for people who were already in, already in relationship. They couldn't earn. They couldn't win. They couldn't achieve. They were just graced and given. This has always been the way that God has given the commandments. The commandments have never, ever been about earning. The commandments have never, ever been about just trying harder to fix ourselves. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I just want to show you how the disciples most likely would have heard this injunction by Jesus to love him by keeping the commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as you turn there, let me just set that up just a little bit for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is instructing the people of God, the nation of Israel. A previous generation has wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because they chose not to trust God when they were on the edge of the promised land. And so now God is is speaking to this generation about the good life that he has for them in the promised land, these commandments that he's given to them. These are already rescued people. They've already been delivered from Pharaoh's hand in Egypt, and they've actually been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as a people. They're already loved people. And so God is speaking to them through Moses and saying, this is the kind of relationship I want to have with the people that I love, the people on whom I've set my affection. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And then verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Because you are loved, 
you can love me in return. You can love me back. I want to have a love relationship with you. Now, that love relationship is not always the easiest relationship because God wants to do something in the life of his people. So this is not just sort of we're all going to be in Christmas Day for the rest of our life opening presents. In fact, we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God is taking his people somewhere and that there is work that they are doing together. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, we see this. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, and you ready for this? And he let you be hungry and fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that, that, excuse me, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. See, God's way, God's good life for his people involved, the ble- involved blessing them with a love relationship. There wasn't any earning that they could possibly do because they'd already been loved. They were already the objects of his affection, and so now as the object of his, objects of his affection, here's how we'll do relationship. Here's how I'll build into your life. Here's how, cha- how I'll change you from the inside out. And part of that involved their, their particular journey in the wilderness. See, all of that for me is foundational. To hear that Jesus is not Santa Claus. (laughs) He's not making a list and checking it twice to figure out if we're in or we're out. Jesus' commandments, Jesus' way of life are for people that he already is crazy about. How crazy? Well, it's a little bit of what we celebrate at Christmas time. Crazy enough to die for them, to rescue them, to relentlessly pursue them to set his love and affection upon them. See, Jesus wants to have a relationship with us that is close and rich and deep and wonderful. And what he's gonna develop and what, what Jesus is going to develop here in the next three little sections that we're going to look at is what that relationship really looks like and how it is that his way produces that relationship in our lives. Let me just give you the, the, the three ways that Jesus is going to talk about this. I've already talked about them a little bit, and then we're going to unpack them together, okay? The first one we're going to find in verse 21 is this, that Jesus wants to have the relationship of close friends, Real friends. The second one is that Jesus wants to have a relationship that's a a family kind of a relationship, a close family, a rich family, a deep family, a connected family. And the third one is perhaps the curveball of it all. That in this relationship that we have with him as we follow in his way, that it actually be fun. That there would be joy, to borrow the words of Jesus right there. So those are the three we're going to look at. Turn back with me to John chapter 14. And let's look at those together. John chapter 14, 
We're gonna pick up Jesus' statements about this way through the commandments in John chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Okay, we've sort of heard that in 15. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Okay, wait a second. I thought Jesus, you just said, Osborne, Jesus already loves us. Jesus already loves his disciples. Jesus already is is giving his life for his people. What is this talking about? This is talking about the kind of relationship that, be, that is experiential. It's talking about a friendship relationship. The word disclose there means to reveal something that has previously been hidden or unknown. See, Jesus says that in the process of walking with him, there are things that we will learn about him that only come from walking with him. That there is a process and a connectivity with him, a relational dynamic that occurs only when you walk closely with someone else. This isn't the only place that Jesus speaks of friendship. Turn with me over to John chapter 15, just a couple of glimpses of that. In verses 14 and 15. Actually, let me back it up to 13. Greater love, Jesus says, has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he looks at those 11 disciples and he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things I have heard from my father I have made known, same word, disclosed to you. See, Jesus has taken these 11, and by extension, those of us that are his disciples, into his company. He is connected with us in ways in which he, he lets us in to what it is that he's doing. You guys aren't slaves. You're my friends. Part of my holiday celebration this last couple of weeks has been some great time with some old friends. Several of us get together on a regular basis and spend some time together. These are guys that are 30-year friends. Many of us went to college together. We were involved with Campus Crusade as students and then as staff people together. We sort of got our wings in ministry together And now we've raised our families and we're spending time together and we're in the gray hair phase or beginning the gray hair phase of this. And so we sit around these tables and we have to do all the email interchange to figure out when in the world are we going to spend this time and, 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 and figure out a time that we can get together. And once that's in place, I look forward to it every day. And I know we're driving from sort of all over the place in Southern California, and I know once I get there, it's just going to go in a minute. It's just going to seem so fleeting and fast. This is the place where you just pick up the conversation where you last ended it. This is the place in which you're your real self, your unvarnished self, your comfort. I sound like I'm doing a Wrangler jeans commercial, don't I? Real comfortable jeans. 
couple of you last. I actually, I actually practiced that, okay? Can you give me a little more than that? Sort of practiced that. Didn't really practice that, okay? I do want to be Brett Favre when I grow up, but that's a different thing. But it's where we can be those people. There's no pretense. It's also the group of guys or one of the groups of guys that I would call if I was in trouble in whatever way. And they're the, group, they're the guys that if I, my voice was cracking on the other end of the phone, they'd say, where are you? I will be there as quickly as I can. So we sit around and we enjoy each other's company and we just drink it in. And there's nothing like those long-term relationships, that connectivity. There's no pretense in that because all of us can say something like this to each other. Dude, really? You're going to big time me right now? I remember when you were bringing all your 70s dance moves to the parties, okay? So just, you can just clip it right now. Some of those guys are presidents of ministries. A number of those guys have planted churches. They've worked at the largest churches in Southern California. One of the guys is on the radio, on and on. They're involved in some really cool kingdom work. But when we sit around that table, we're just real and we're comfortable. We're our unvarnished selves. Jesus wants to sit around a table with you and me and our unvarnished selves. Real. Comfortable. The real you. See, he invites us by walking in his way to enjoy that, that friendship, that relationship that comes only from walking for years with someone else. But it's not just that that Jesus offers us and invites us into as we follow his commandments. Verse 22 and 23 add layers to this because Judas Iscariot, or not, not Iscariot, excuse me, Judas Iscariot's gone, but Judas said to him, Lord, what's happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Isn't this going to be a big, huge crescendo, huge deal? And Jesus seemingly doesn't even answer his question. He just continues in the same line of questioning, but he's going to add another layer to it. Because in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We've heard this before, haven't we? And my Father will love him. And we will come to him, and we will make our abode, our home, with him. So now he moves from friendship to family. Now, Jesus has used this abode language earlier in John chapter 14 because in John chapter 14, he says, look, I'm going to leave you guys and you're all brokenhearted, but I'm going and we're going to add a room on the place for you. It will be yours forever. I'm preparing a place for you. Now he shifts the metaphor, flips the metaphor, and he says, as you walk with me in these moments... The Father and I are going to make our home with you. We're going to build our house next to yours. We're going to add a room to your place. We're going to be family. When you come into our home, Osborne Manor and Brea, our 70s track home, maybe like a lot of yours, you walk into our place. I'm looking at Zach Arnold because he's been to our place. And so you walk in, and to the right is the office. 
And the office is where we manage our house. And it's got the desk and the bookshelves and the printer and da 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 And it's a work in progress, okay? Uh, to, to the left, as you walk in, so here's the office. So over here to the left, you have the, the, the living room. But the living room is where our TV is. And in the living room, maybe like wherever it is that you watch TV, everything's sort of pointed at the TV. Because the goal in the living room is to yell at the TV. Isn't that what you do? Right? So we are all in agreement that we yell at the TV, and it's been a great year yelling at the TV because I'm a San Francisco Giants fan and a 49ers fan and a Bruin fan, and at least for one Saturday in November, it was a glorious time as a Bruin fan. Okay? Just saying. That's all I'm going to say about that. Or maybe a couple other... No, I'm not going to say any more. But we yell at the TV together in that living room because that's where the TV is. And then as you go deeper into our home, you find the family room. And in the family room, all, all the furniture faces each other. And there's a fireplace in there. And in that, in that place, that, that's a place where we talk to each other. So we don't yell at the TV, but rather we face each other and we talk to each other. But the place that our home is most a home is actually the room that's sort of the deepest or the farthest away from the front door. It's where the kitchen in our, and a dining table is. It's sort of a kitchen area. And that's a place where, particularly around holiday times, we bump shoulders with each other, and somebody usually has a knife, so you have to be careful in that, right? But we're rubbing shoulders, and meals are being cooked and prepared, and conversations are being had, and Christmas carols might be on the Bose thing or whatever, the Bose dock in the background. And it's the place when we're together as a family that after we're done with the meal, the table gets cleared off and the games begin or the conversations begin to happen. And so bananagrams happens there, whatever it is that we're doing for that particular day, or perhaps even more importantly than that, it's where the conversations happen where the people sitting at that table can give a more than 30-second answer to the question, how are you doing? You know that drill, right? You, you got to have 10 different answers to the question, how are you doing? But when you sit at that table, you can linger over that because you don't have to be doing great to answer that question at that table. See, it's the place where our home is most home. And Jesus says, I want to be at home with you. I want to be at that table with you. I want you to take a long time to answer the question, how are you doing? I want to be with you and make my abode with you. So you see what Jesus is doing? He's flipping our understanding of Santa and the commandments and earning and willing things. And he's saying the way, my way, is a way where we are close, like friends are close, battle-hardened relationships in which we reveal things to one another, we're together, and those things get revealed only in the cut and thrust of living real life together. And we're at home together in that way that only a close home where you can, give, you can give that full answer to the question, how are you really doing? But Jesus has one more layer that he's gonna add for us. One more thing that he's gonna say about this way that he has for us. It's in John chapter 15. And just a f- 
find an F word. I said fun in there, but it doesn't need to be that. It's really joy is Jesus' word in there. Friendship and family and fun or joy in here. In, In John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says this. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So live or remain in that love. Wow, what an awesome invitation. How do you do that, Jesus? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Seriously? That's the... So it's not a sort of a romantic kind of a love. It's not sort of an ooey kind of a love. It's a real, oh, okay. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus invites us into this relationship that is a relation that is in the way in which we follow his commandments and enjoy friendship and family with him. But as we follow Jesus in the way, we follow him literally in that way of the commandments. See, did Jesus have anything to earn like I've been trying to earn in my Santa Claus theology with the Father? No. They'd spend eternity loving each other. So earning is off the table. How about Jesus, he's going to prove himself to the Father. He's going to gut it up and he's going to... No, they spend eternity loving each other. But Jesus, with joy, followed the Father in the commandments. And then he invites us into that joy. For some of us, as we think about the commandments, what comes into our mind is just this enormous list of the stuff not to do. And the stuff not to do, invariably, is the stuff that is the most fun to do. Can we just say that? That's what it feels like a lot of times. And so he comes like, really? Gosh, here we go. Remove the fun. Oh, yeah, let's pretend we're all going to have... No. But see, what Jesus invites us into is to walk away from the danger that will destroy us so that we can walk into the kind of danger that will change us, that will change our lives, that will be a part of what it is that he's doing. See, it's a dangerous thing to love people. It's a dangerous thing to feed 200 homeless people last week. It's a dangerous thing to go out and begin to develop relationships with people that are in 42 assisted living facilities all over the place. It's a dangerous thing to fill up a Salvation Army truck that will, be, that will finance right here in our neighborhood a rehab center for people that's for free. That's a dangerous kind of love right there. Don't invest yourself in that kind of love unless you want to be changed by it. But that's the kind of invitation that Jesus gives to us. That kind of dangerous, life-changing love for other people. We got to see a little bit of that around our Christmas table this Christmas. Like you, like many of you, I should say, we did a lot of Christmases. And so one of our Christmases was with my mother-in-law and just our family. Our two sons were there, and our our older son lives in San Francisco. Our younger son is a fourth year at Biola. So we don't get a whole lot of time together, but it was a glorious thing to do. So we'd cook the rib roast out out uh, on the grill, 
And it was glorious. And so now it's sitting, waiting for me to take the knife to it, just bleeding that glorious juice, waiting for me to cut the ribs away or whatever, and then begin to slice it. So all the aroma of all the food is just over us. And we ask our our older son to pray. Bless this food that we're about to eat before I trip over somebody else and start eating it right now. And so he begins to pray. And he begins to thank God for the incredible richness. I mean, my goodness sakes, looking at all this food and just connecting with the family, it's glorious. But then his mind began to drift, not drift, but his mind began to go to another place, another sphere of people that he loves who won't be experiencing anything like this anytime soon. Our older son is involved with a group of people that are ministering in what is the, in the tenderloin section of San Francisco. For those of you who are San Francisco people, you know what that's like. For others of you, the tenderloin is one of the places, perhaps the place in San Francisco that people end up. They don't go there to live, they end up in the tenderloin. And so there's a group of people with SETI Impact and Francis Chan that have been mobilized and they walk the floors of these hotels that are there. And these hotels are filled with addicts and with people who have AIDS and of people who have ended up in the tenderloin. And so my son had some people that he brought around our Christmas table to pray for them because he loves them and because of the joy of being engaged in that kind of glorious danger for the kingdom. And he cared about them and he brought them around our table. See, that kind of joy, that kind of following, that kind of way changes us, doesn't it? It's a dangerous love that Jesus invites us into as he builds into our life and creates friendship, builds into our life and creates family connection, builds into our life so that with joy we engage in what he's doing in the world. Let's pray. Let's give thanks to him, can we? So Jesus, we come before you now and we thank you for what you're doing. That you invite us into this way that is so startling and so scandalous in a way then you invite us to enjoy you. For some of us, we are grappling with earning. Others, we think that it's all about our effort. But we want to join you, Jesus that because we love you, we can participate in what you're doing. Because you have so loved us, you draw us into your company for these rich relationships. So Jesus, would you make 2013 about that, about friendship, and about family, and about joy? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we sing back to you. Amen.